0: People call me Kazi, and I'm from Bangladesh. I lived in Dhaka, the capital city of Bangladesh, and I'm from a very religious, strict family. Should I should I, should I tell you my story? Sure. Or, oh, okay. So the thing is...
1: Welcome to the second episode of Season 2 of Refugee Stories podcast. This season focuses on the lives of people who've had to leave their homes because of their sexuality or gender identity. Today, we're listening to Kazi from Bangladesh. Kazi was interviewed by our London-based member, Jamie Holton, and it's her voice you'll hear throughout the episode.
2: If you
3: can, could you explain to me what made you decide to leave your home?
0: So... It is a long story, actually. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, after finishing my dentistry course from my country, which is like in 2011, I started to join uh, as an assistant in a clinic. So when I was in third year in my dentistry course, I had a very good partner, whose name is Almas. So he was my best reading partner, basically. During my puberty time, when I was like 13 to 14 years old, when I was in class 9, alright? So I found that when my classmates, which are boys, my, my male friends, were well, they are sexually attracted by the different sex, mm-hmm. like the girls. I am not sexually attracted by the girls. I am sexually attracted by the handsome boys. So, it's okay. I, I thought that I should share these feelings to some people, but uh, I was so shy and I was very choosy about uh, finding my friends. So, I, I told these feelings to one of my best friends, whose name was Shahid Shahid Rahman. Uh, so, I told it what is happening in my mind, or what I'm thinking okay, about my sexuality at that time. So he he thought that I'm joking and he also said to me not to share these things to anybody because people are going to take it as a joke. Okay, so I thought that, okay, maybe there is some problem in myself. So that's why I'm like thinking about like these things. So anyways, it's not like that I hate girls or like these things. No, it's like I'm not physically attracted by the girls, only that things. Okay. So one day I went to the college library with him to find some journal for my uh, course study and I found that there' was some English journal and there is a chapter regarding the homosexuality. okay? Mm-hmm. I can't uh, remember the name of the journal, but yes, that was an English journal. And for the very first time, I, I, I wrote... Uh, sorry, I, I read everything. I read everything. And I read that homosexuality is very normal mm. all across the world. Okay, I called him, you're just right, uh, sitting right behind me. So I called him and I, 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 I told him to read all these things, what I'm, what I'm reading. And I said to him first time that, okay, the thing is, I am feeling this kind of uh, thing for you. Okay, I had trust on him that's why I said to him that I had feelings okay Knowing all this things that okay it could be a big problem if if, if, if he tell everybody what's what gonna happen he didn't say anything anything at the time but later he told me that yes, he is in a, he's in like love with me, that kind of relationship. So I said okay you now so that we can we can be couple Within 24 hours like 18 hours, we are talking to each other okay on the phone physically so yeah we can be couple mm-hmm. and what happened after becoming couple uh, study was like gone like this mm-hmm. okay so we spent a lot of time a lot of times for doing mm-hmm. another thing apart from study so uh, i did fail in one subject and he also
3: and how did you, did your parents find out about it
0: but the thing is when I said to my parents, to my dad basically, for the first time that, uh, okay, uh, maybe this relationship is more than a best friend relationship. Then he said to me that, okay, listen, you, you should be best friend, not more than that, okay. More than any kind of thing is prohibited in the society. So he, dad also said to him that, okay, it's quite prohibited. The problem is he went to his village mm-hmm. to his dad I think uh, and after that I, th- I don't know what happened maybe he was bitten by his dad or what, I don't know I called him so many times because on the time mobile phone was like uh, not so much popular mm-hmm. but anyways we, I, I called him personally by phone but he didn't pick up later from one of my classmates He told me that, okay, uh, Almas is now in his village and there is no communication from Almas to them as well. Okay, so later I found that uh, one of my friends told me he left the country. Mm. And I don't know where. Because it was like third year, so only one year left to finish the dentistry course for him and me as well. But on the very, on the time, he left the country. okay. So anyway, but I don't know even, still I don't know where he is. The problem is this type of thing is still a taboo in my country, and homosexuality is prohibited still right now.
3: You might remember from the last episode that homosexuality in Bangladesh is illegal under section 377, which criminalizes same-sex conduct. This law is rarely implemented and is a remnant of British colonial law dating back over 150 years, but the government has now twice rejected recommendations from the UN Human Rights Council to repeal the law. Furthermore, there have been several high-profile murders of people for their sexuality in recent years, some of which have even targeted LGBTQIA activists. This is what Kazi' is referring to when he says that homosexuality is prohibited.:
0: After finishing my dentistry course from my country, the time I was feeling so lonely and uh, I was like in a, a, a depression, kind of depression. So on the time I tried first time in the United Kingdom, and for the very first time I got the visa, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't want to take any chance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I had no intention like to be an activist on that time, but yes, after being in this country, I became open. And then I realized that it is really a big problem. Mm. It is a threat to my life. I can't, can a threat to my life that I can't go back to my country. Because right now I am working as an activist in the social medias, my name, my face, everything, my sexuality is open right now. So my parents, all the social community people, they know about me. I can't hide myself. So they, they are already, they threaten me that I can't go back to my country. If I will go back, they're gonna kill me anyhow or anyways. Then I need also money to come here. I was a new dentist, so, so I told it to my dad that I need the money. He told me that if you want to go to United Kingdom, it's okay, and he was glad to know that. But there is one condition, and if I fulfill the condition, he will give me the money, and also he will give me the permission to come, come to London. And I said, what is it? And he said, I have to marry a girl. I said immediately that I'm not prepared for this kind of wedding ceremony right now. Let me come here and then I will think about it. So I had to say yes, because I had no money. No other guy will give me the money.
3: Kazi was forced into a marriage. A forced marriage is where one or both people do not consent to the marriage and pressure or abuse is used. Unfortunately, there are members from the LGBTQIA community all around the world who are pressured by their conservative family to marry someone from the opposite sex to protect their family's honor. An article by the BBC explains that even in the UK, many gay or lesbian people from South Asian descent are pressured by their families to enter a heterosexual marriage. The pressure put on people to marry against their will can be physical, emotional and psychological.
0: So he gave me the money and I said yes and I married, I did marry an unknown girl, basically. He was a nice girl, she was a nice girl. I did marry an unknown girl 14th of October, and I, 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 came, I came to London at 23rd of October. Wow, a
3: week later.
0: Yeah, in, in, in this uh, like five, six days, uh, I had no physical relationship with that lady, and I talked, to, I talked to her by phone, okay, it was the very first time I saw her during, uh, on the marriage ceremony okay fine and then i came back to london and after that i i tried to avoid any phone calls from from that lady okay because I, I can't i can't maintain the relationship i did all these things to come to london
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay and yes i felt guilty but what can i do i expressed my feelings to my dad and mom straight away that i'm not ready for this wedding mm-hmm. But they forced me, that's why I'm here. They always pressurize me why I'm not maintaining proper husband-wife relationship with my wife. And then my mom and dad said to me, do you have a visa? You can take your dependent with you. So why don't you try that? I thought that she will never gonna get the visa, but she got the visa. She got the visa and she came here for the first time as well, so it was her first experience as well in London. Mm. Day by day, she understood that I am not in a like proper relationship with her. So, of course, she tried me to have a good physical relationship, mm-hmm. but I could not maintain properly. I was not into it. Of so one day, I, I, I said to her about my sexuality, and the very first question was, why did I marry her? And I said to her everything clearly, the, what happened to my life before, my history. She was, of course, too angry with me, too angry with me, because she doesn't, uh, she didn't want to go back to her country. She wanted a good life, a secure life with me in London or in abroad, anywhere. But I was unable to do that. In the meantime, what happened? I. I found so many clubs with some of my friends, normal clubs and gay clubs as well. And uh, I was into a relationship with a dancer, who was like my ex-boyfriend right now. Right. Okay, he was not my current boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend. And day by day we was in a very good relationship. So he, he showed me so many things. Yeah. He showed me so, basically he was my teacher. like. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing.
3: Soon, Kazi became a part of different LGBTQIA communities in London and an activist. He started to share his life story and connect with others, both in person and online.
0: I joined first time Pride 2017 mm-hmm. with my boyfriend, my uh, ex-boyfriend. Yes, my ex-boyfriend, yeah. The first time I, I, I uh, experienced the feelings about Pride in London. Mm-hmm and first time I, I i i thought that okay there are so many people that it's a big community mm. there is nothing to be hide i found the chairman of said Loud club and he gave me a visiting card so so you can can come you can say that now i'm working unofficially as a photographer i am mm-hmm. an official archive man cuz I always take the photos from Said Loud Club and uh, I'm working as an activist as well uh, for Said Loud Club. For me, mm-hmm. I have um, a hopeless angel. Uh, I call it hopeless angel. I have my separate Facebook page, which is a public page. And I have like uh, 20 more than 21,000 followers over there. So I found in my inbox, people are like, uh, t- uh, like asking me how to to London how to come to America something like that they always ask me help I tell them express yourself because I'm I can't come to Bangladesh but you are in Bangladesh if you think that you are safe okay express yourself you can't hide yourself you can't live like this but they say that we are in a jail the whole country is like a jail for them so what to do
3: Even though Kazi felt accepted in the UK, his problems were far from over. Kazi would soon risk overstaying his student visa. Without a visa to stay in the UK, he could face deportation to Bangladesh, which for him, as an openly gay activist, could put his life in danger.
0: At the same time, I got the email. I got the email from the Home Office that my visa has to be curtailed. And my visa has to be curtailed, so I lost my job as well okay and i had like hmm, half of my money my my father already paid to my college and half of my money is still remaining but as my visa carteled, i i did not have to uh, fulfill the half of the money to my college so the relation between my college and me gone it's gone i said everything to my wife and my wife can't handle this so she said that we can't live in the same place so I separated from her, I separated from her. I found a different accommodation. So my wife chapter closed. What can I do to live properly in London? Because my, I have no visa, so basically it is true that I am illegal in London. I can't, I have no job and I can't get any job because I am illegal in London. I have no visa, I'm an overstayer. so what to do? In the meantime i went to so many solicitor firm okay and uh, they, they told me like uh, okay that is one option you can do asylum no. but regarding what what kind of asylum what is my subject what to do i had no idea they said to me okay come to us pay our fees first open a file to our firm and then we can can tell you what kind of asylum, or what can you do. On that time, I was thinking, okay, I think asylum does mean by political asylum or something like that. But I'm not a political person, honestly. I'm not a political person, so I had no idea about that.
3: This was when Kazi started to think about seeking asylum on the basis of his sexuality. Immigration lawyer Gary McIndoe explains that it is extremely difficult to obtain protection through the asylum process, and for LGBTQIA people applying on the basis of their sexual or gender status, the journey can be extremely traumatic, invasive, and long-winded, with no guarantee of success. The asylum-seeking process puts the burden on Kazi to prove to the UK government that he is gay, but there is a risk that the government simply doesn't believe him. Kazi also has to prove that being gay would probably cause him serious harm back in Bangladesh and that his government would not protect him. In order to do this, Kazi would have to go through multiple rounds of long and nerve-wracking interviews in a language that wasn't his own and where the outcome would literally mean life or death.
0: Then uh, I, I started my first application in 27th of March, 2017. Okay, and uh, we had a very, very very short interview, like why I am here, why do I want to uh, claim an asylum, on the basis of what. Maybe 3rd of August, 2017, they called me uh, for a main interview, a long interview. In Leeds, I became sick because I, I was very nervous so what happened I could not go to Leeds on the 3rd of August because I have a very chest pain mm-hmm. just because of I think uh, it happened uh, because of mental uh, I mean what can you say nervousness stress. Um, mental stress yeah. yeah in the morning or in the evening in the evening time I think I I feel so bad mm-hmm. I feel so bad I called my current boyfriend and he was there and he oh, called the ambulance and Home Office sent me a letter again that okay, you can come, a 21st of August, uh, and I had no idea how to face an interview with the Home Office on that time. So the Home Office guy asked me so many times that Kazi, are you feeling well? Are you feeling nervous? And I said, no, I am not feeling nervous, but actually I was feeling nervous, obviously. And it was so cold. Uh, I had a problem of asthma, mm-hmm. but. Okay, anyways, I had to finish the interview. Okay, and I said exactly what I'm telling now to you. Mm -hmm. But maybe my presentation was not good. Maybe uh, I felt nervous, so I was not prepared. Mm -hmm. They have to ask you questions in in several ways, with the same questions in several ways. And you have to answer properly. You have to express yourself properly. If you can't express yourself properly, Your fate will be like me. I, maybe I, I will I, I will be succeed this time to express my feelings properly. Even I was so nervous that home office guy asked me, "What is the address of your boyfriend?" I I I said I said the wrong road. And they said, "Okay, look, Kazi still doesn't know uh, the road name of his boyfriend." The home office refused me, and they said. Every time that uh, Mr. Kazi, he completely failed to express himself uh, about his sexuality. Kazi's
3: case is now going to court.
0: My court is coming on 12th of February 2020 again, after four months. So I'm wishing that I'm gonna win the case, number one.
3: Kazi's case has already been delayed a couple of times and is now on hold indefinitely until the pandemic passes. While this uncertainty can cause anxiety and feelings of depression, Kazi tries to stay hopeful by supporting others through the same process.
0: I try to motivate people to not like hide yourself. Okay, If you want to claim an asylum, it's completely free. There is some process. You have to go through some process. It's very easy peasy. Home office people—they are not your enemies. They are doing their duties. And there are so many asylum seekers right now. They are calling me. They are telling me, "Oh, Kazi, I, 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 won my case. I finally success to prove my sexuality to the court." Most of them are winning the case from the court, by the way. Because I don't know why. Maybe they, they can't express themselves to home office. That's why they have to go through the first first tribunal. Yeah. but anyways the the good thing is uh the refugees have a very fantastic future in in the united kingdom mm-hmm. we can uh, as a refugee status we can work for bbc we can work for cnn mm-hmm. we can work for any other normal organizations here i am a dentist so maybe uh, yeah i will go for a license course after becoming a refugee over here so maybe the government will give us uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, uh, help people in London mm-hmm. as, a, as a refugee status.
2: Yeah.
0: I think uh, we will we'll get a five years of visa from the court if we win the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, w- within these five years, I have to uh, be a proper citizen
2: yeah. of London. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I want to be a good mentor. Mm-hmm and as a good dentist in London as well, if uh, I will get the chance.
1: That was the second episode of Season 2 of Refugee Stories Podcast. You've been listening to Kazi from Bangladesh, interviewed by the talented Jamie Holton, a member of the Refugee Stories Podcast team. This episode was made in association with the Say It Loud Club, one of the very few organisations working in the UK to support those who've been displaced because of their sexuality or gender identity. The Say It Loud Club is an incredible NGO that provides valuable community support, ranging from social events to workshops and legal aid, functioning as a lifeline for people during what can be the extraordinarily long waiting period after they first seek asylum. I strongly recommend donating and supporting their excellent work. The best way to do this is by setting up a regular monthly donation, which I've done myself by following the link on their website, www.sayitloudclub.org. That's www.sayitloudclub.org. Of course, all statements in this podcast are my own and are not to be attributed to the Say It Loud Club. If you'd like to stay up to date with Kazi's activism, you can like his Facebook page, Hopeless Angel. You can find the hyperlink in the show notes for this episode on podcast.org. I strongly recommend checking it out. Both Kazi's Facebook page and the Say It Loud Club are great resources for anybody who's interested in learning more about this subject. For music, thanks go to Dan Bowden, Josh Lippy The Overtimers, Patches and Windows of Ken. The outro music is Shada Kahlo by Fuad, Upol and Maher, a special request from Kazi. Thank you also to Kazi for trusting us with his story. I can only hope that these stories go out into the world and help others to understand Kazi's experiences and those of others like him. And finally, my name is Jessica Stone and I'm the producer of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Kazi's story.